Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. So here I am taking this flight to an overseas mission. We have a team. I don't know everybody on the team. I've met most of them, but now all of a sudden we are going to Sumatra. We are going in this, um, uh, in this open field, open place, and there's thousands of people coming up. And they've set up a tent and they've set up a uh, stage. And uh, we are hearing the gospel being preached. And all of a sudden, this Australian man, part of our team, jumps on the stage and he begins to speak. And I am just in awe and just admiring and grabbing and grasping every word he says. And as he finishes off and makes the altar call, I want to give my life to the Lord, but I am one of the team members and I am one of the evangelists, so I couldn't do it. But he, a lot of people came forward and together with him, we prayed for them and we, see, we saw so many wonderful miracles. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to... I have the privilege, privilege to bring to Kingdom Stories from Down Under tonight, Patrick Humberson. Thank you. You Thank don't you. remember that time, do you? Uh, I do. You I do. think I remember. <laughs> I remember that mission trip to Indonesia. Sumatra. Yeah. Sumatra. It, was, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, Michael, my son, also came. Do you remember Mike? Yes. He was with us at, during yeah. that time. Yeah, yeah I He did. didn't stay for the full trip, did he? Uh, yeah, I think he did. Oh, did he? I, I know somebody left a bit earlier. Yeah. No, I think he was there for the whole trip. Yeah, really, it was a great time. Yeah, great time. we were treated really well. Yeah. Johnny Pardede. Yeah, he's a wild man. Great, great time. It was a great time. You know, yeah. something that, you know, you can hold on to and value, f- you know, for the rest of your life. Yeah. Just wonderful preaching the gospel. I couldn't think what, of anything better. What other countries had you been before, before Indonesia? Okay, well, um, I was born in Zimbabwe, okay? okay? I was born in Rhodesia, which then became Zimbabwe. Yes. Um, so uh, then I, I've, I've been to South Africa. Um, I lived in England for a period of time. Are your parents English? My, my father's English. My mother was born in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe. Okay. Yeah. From a German background or from, Dutch? No, from an English background. English background. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But my dad was English. Yes. Mum was also in English, but her father immigrated to Rhodesia before she was born. For mining or farming? Or oh, he those? was just a go-getter. He's, you know, he was just a... Um, uh, yeah, he worked in mines, actually. Yeah. He did. He worked for the mines for a period of time. He worked on the railways in Rhodesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's the first memory that you have of Zimbabwe? Four, five? Well... You know, Zimbabwe back in the day was a beautiful, beautiful country. We had such a thrilling uh, freedom and a way of life growing up there. We would run around, you know, without any shoes and any shirt. We were just so young and so free. It was an amazing country, absolutely amazing. And I suppose my first um, recollection recollection of, of Rhodesia was during the time when the war started. I don't know whether you're aware that uh, Rhodesia went through a time of great conflict. Yes. Uh, when Mugabe, the uh, ZANU and the ZAPU wanted to take over the country. It was a communist takeover. 
So we, we, we were involved in a war for a long period of time. Yes. Yeah. And uh, what's, what's the first recollection that you have of, of, of war? Of war. My father going to the bush. Yeah. And he'd be away for months at a time. So, you know, he'd be going out to battle. We, would, we wouldn't know whether we'd see him alive again, again you yeah. know. So he'd go off to battle and mum would stay at home, look after the family. And then after about six weeks, he would return again. And then he was back in the bush. So it was, that was our way of life. Yeah. You know, um, I was recruited into the Rhodesian Army at the age of 18. Yes. And before the time I was 21, I'd seen more suffering, death and human calamity than most people would see in a lifetime. So, so I've been involved in that situation. But I remember it starting when I was a young boy mm-hmm. and remember seeing my dad go off to the bush. I grew up as a teenager and eventually at the age of 18, I was also recruited into the army. Yeah, yeah, tough, tough period. It was. It was. It was conflict. It was. It was in the trenches. Yeah. It was. You know, we fought our war right off the back of Vietnam. So if you've yes. seen any Vietnam movies yeah. or anything, that was us. We, in fact, we had mercenaries from Australia and from the states come over and fight Teaching. with us. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is mid seventies. It was in the seventies. Yeah. I was recruited into the army in 1972, okay. 73. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be sitting on the back of a vehicle or flying in a chopper and would look around at all my friends and I'd wonder, well, who's going to come out of this alive? Who's oh. the next to cop it? Who's the next to, you know, yeah. uh, stop a bullet? So that's the way that we grew up. We, you know, um, I did a five year apprenticeship as a motor mechanic, but mm-hmm. out of the five years apprenticeship as a mechanic, I only did about three months on the bench. Yeah. The rest of the time I was out in the bush fighting. Oh. And then I'd come back for six weeks. Yes. And then I'd go back in again for six weeks. And so it was indefinite call-ups. So that's the way it operated all yeah. the time. Had a lot of good friends killed in action. I suppose, you know, the army um, uh, taught me a lot of discipline and the value of human life. Yes. And um, fortunately, I got saved, gave my life to Jesus just prior to going into the army. Okay. And, and uh, hence, with that experience, I was then able to share the love of Jesus to many of my friends. Uh, even to the point where I was able to baptize them in some of the border rivers. Wow. And so, you know, evangelism has always been my passion. It's always been my motivation. Who led you to the Lord? Uh, well, I, I was a rebellious young teenager. My folks at, at an early age gave their lives to the Lord Jesus. My dad was bordering alcoholism. Yes. And um, once again, we'd never used to see dad. He was always yeah. in the pubs. Yeah. And oh. Always in the pubs. Common. In fact, I can remember my mother going to the pubs with her rifle and threatening him to get, get home or else he's gonna sh- you know, she's, she's going to shoot, shoot him. him. I mean, that's how bad it was. He yeah. was in a bad, bad way. Anyway, a friend of his in the army gave him a book on the end times. And dad went home, started to read it and really started taking a lot of interest in the end time. So that was a big thing for my dad. And eventually he was invited along to a church, heard the pure gospel for the first time, acknowledged Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He became a Christian. Absolutely. And my mother um, at that particular time also gave her life to the Lord. And as a direct result of that, I suppose all of us kids, and there's six of us, so I'm the oldest of six kids, uh, we all in in some way accepted the Lord Jesus at a a home fellowship group meeting. Yes. And um, so that's our story. Wow. 
Yeah, so my dad was bordering alcoholism. Jesus came into his life, changed and transformed him. As a direct result of that, transformed our family. And and at a very early stage, we, as uh, six of us kids, accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Wow. Mm. You know, there's a story back back home. They said, you know, uh, we've read in the Bible, one of the guys was testifying about how he became a Christian. Yeah. And his family, his dad turned around as well, just in the same way as you do now. Yeah. He was saying, you know, we read in the Bible that Jesus turned the water into wine. Yeah. But let me tell you the, the miracles that Jesus did in our lives. Yeah. Jesus turned uh, alcohol into shoes, into food, into into schooling, into Absolutely education true. for us. Great That's analogy. a greater miracle for yeah. us. Absolutely. Great analogy. <laughs> you know. Because the Father turned around, and when the Father turns around, everything turns around. Everything changes. So he must have had a strong impact. He was a strong character, uh, strong presence, your dad, in the house. Yeah. Oh, my dad was, he was, you know, he was very strict. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, but, but when he gave his life to Jesus... Complete total transformation, and and you know it was as though God had purified him, cleansed him, turned him upside down, and got rid of all the rubbish, yeah. and he was totally totally changed. And you had a radical change as well. Yes. Now I grew up um, in a Christian home, yes. but got into my teenage years and started to rebel against the church, rebel against society in general. I was always in trouble at school. Uh, I left school at a very early age. And then I started partying and raging and, you know, uh, doing things that I ought not to do. And eventually I got in trouble with the police and I landed up in jail for a small period of time. Remember my dad coming into the charge office to come and collect me. Yeah. And, uh, and um, I remember, you know, him getting me released from the charge office. And then he made me sit in the back of the car like a dog with his tail between its leg, yeah. legs. And I'm wondering, gosh, what's he going to do when he gets me home? He's just going to kill me. But as, when we got home, he sat me on the side of the bed and he said, son, what have I done to deserve this? What are you doing with your life? Yeah. And so anyway, you know, he, 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 he caused me to reflect on my life and, and where I was going. But, you know, I could hear what he was saying, but there was definitely no change in my life, not at all. And so I had to go and apologize to all the people that I had stolen from, whom I had lied to, and, and return all the stolen goods and what have you. But, you know, I can do all those good things, but really my heart wasn't changed. Eventually, a young lady invited me to a youth camp. And at first I thought, no, I'm not going to go to no fanatical youth camp. So I dismissed the idea as a bad idea. Uh, but then having a good examination and looking at this girl, the beautiful long blonde hair, and, <laughs> and she had the, you know, the shape. she had the, the shape grooves. that any young guy would like. And I'm thinking to myself, well, are you going to the camp? And she says, yes, I'm going. Why don't you come? And uh, she says, oh, then I said, yeah, are you going? And she says, yeah. And I said, I'm coming as well. Yeah. And so I did. I packed all my cigarettes and, and what have you. And I, I went along to that camp. When I got to that camp, I realized that all these young people had something that was drastically missing from my life. They seemed yeah. to have purpose. They seemed to have destiny. They knew who they were. They knew where they were going in life. Yeah. Everything that was missing in my life. Yeah. And so, you know, I became the camp project number one. And so they were doing all they could to try and have me converted. And I thought, well, good for you guys, but not for me. You know, I'm quite happy going out and partying and chilling out with the chicks and what have you. 
But then during the camp, I think it was on the second day, I went on top of a high mountain with two of these radical, fanatical, Bible-bashing, brainwashing, yeah. tongue-babbling maniacs. And, and uh, I, love that. I remember they, they had done their, their witnessing bit and they tried to get me to, to, to say the sinner's prayer. And I thought, well, just to get them off my back, I think that's exactly what I'll do. So anyway, they, you know, I prayed the sinner's prayer and I prayed, Lord, if you're real, make yourself known to me. And I can honestly tell you, I didn't hear a vault of lightning going, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, I didn't hear a booming voice saying, you know, I'm God Almighty, creator of the universe. But I knew that something had happened in my heart. I knew that something definitely, definitely had triggered in my heart. So anyway, we came off that high mountain. At the bottom of this mountain, they had this huge marquee tent and they were having a meeting in there. And I walked in with these two guys and I saw all these radical fanatics, you know, with their hands raised up in the air and singing all their their songs and everything. And I'm thinking to myself, far out. This is a cult. This is just not my scene. But then I thought, well, when in Rome, do what the Romans do, do. as the Romans do. Yeah. So I remember raising my hands and and you know faking it, I suppose, you know, yeah. because everybody else was doing it. But my heart was far from the Lord. Yeah. But I knew that something had triggered off in my heart. And then one of the youth pastors came and just put his hand on me. And, and I can tell you, it was like two forty volts went right through me. Now I know what it's like to be on alcohol. I know what it's like to be drunk and insane and out of yeah. my mind. But I, I've never felt this this wonderful sense of God's presence and yes. overwhelming sense of love yeah. and, and a purpose and a destiny that I've never experienced in my entire life. Yes. And I fell to the floor on my knees and I would have cried for about four hours. Wow. And and I after about three or four hours, I got off the ground and I really felt totally cleansed purified on the inside, a new person. In fact, the first scripture I ever learned that became so meaningful for me was 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, new creation. creation. Old has passed, new has come. And that's exactly what happened to me. i got to tell you, I stood off the, off the ground and I was totally changed, yeah. totally transformed. I felt I had been in, in the presence of God. I felt that I'd be to heaven and back. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was my experience. And from that experience, I knew that God had called me to evangelism. Yeah. I knew for a fact that, you know, God had called me to preach the gospel. And and to this day I'm still preaching the gospel with with passion and energy and and uh, you know it's just within me. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. When did you come to Australia? Came to an Australia. Came to Australia. So, so the so war after, came. To, the war came to an end okay. in Zimbabwe. Okay. So, no, it didn't come to an end. Um, we fought in that war. I was virtually there from the beginning, yeah. right through until 1980, when Mugabe took power. Okay. Now, when Mugabe took power, we flew out. In fact, it was the same day. We flew out to England, and I went to a Bible college called the Elam Bible College in England. And by then you were married already? I was married and I had two kids. Okay. Where did you meet your wife? I met uh, Judy just after I got saved at another youth camp. And then you went to the army? Then, no, I was in the army before I met her. Okay. Okay. In fact, I got saved and then it was only weeks later that I, I went to the army. Yeah. Okay. And when I went to the army and I was on R&R yeah. for a period of time. You got married? Um, well, I met Judy, okay, and that's when we started courting. I was good friends with Judy's brother, uh-huh. and so that's when it all happened. Yeah, and so we got married in 1975. 
five, I think. Yeah. Seventy-five. <laughs> uh, nine months. You better get it right. We better get it right. So we married for about forty-five years, Hallelujah, I think. Yeah, okay? that's beautiful. Then we had two kids, Michael, yeah. and and then came along uh, Richard. Beautiful. My son. Mm. And then the four of us we went over to England where I Who attended. Who was in England? Who? What, what took you to England? I went to Bible college. Okay. There wasn't any uh, really good Bible colleges in, in Zimbabwe at the time. Yeah. And neither were there any, any good Bible colleges in South Africa at the yeah. time either. And I had heard about the Elam. Yes. The Elam. Are you familiar with the Elam Bible College? No. Okay, it's a very big, big college. And they also had a mission station mm-hmm. in Zimbabwe okay. at the time. Okay? okay. And I was on patrol and I came across this, this Elam mission station. Base. So, yeah, five of us in a stick. So we were patrolling with our rifles yeah. on a seek and destroy mission, uh, coming across this mission station. These missionaries took us in, yes. offered us a Paid bed you. for the night, but we didn't take it. They fed us. We left. It was only months after that that these missionaries were surrounded by the terrorists, taken onto the field and brutally, brutally massacred. Oh. Uh, and I remember when the news came out, I was I was on R and R when the news came out. Yes, uh, it came over the radio on a news communique. Uh, we got news communiques happening every day during the war. Yes. And and I remember getting the news, and then it was on a Sunday, and we had to go to church on the Sunday morning. I just couldn't I couldn't sit in the communion service. I remember walking out of the communion service, sat in the car, uh, yeah. and, and I just bawled my eyes out because I knew those yeah. missionaries. I knew them. And in fact, it was our company, our unit, that did the follow-up and yes. chased these, these terrorists, these insurgents. Yeah, and, and it so happened to be the same, um, that, that whole incident was the catalyst for us to attend the Elam Bible College yeah. in England. Well, that really stirred yeah. you up. So it did, it did. And that was just the catalyst that, that led yeah. us to the Elam Bible College, which is one of the biggest Pentecostal Bible colleges in England today. And you lived on campus? Lived? No, we didn't live on campus. We lived out of campus at a, at a house provided by the Bible College. Beautiful. Yeah. How long were you there? There for two years. Okay. What okay. happened next? All righty. The second year, now I had to work for, you know, to, we weren't on the doll. or, no, or we, There was nothing there. So Judy and I had to work. She worked in a kitchen. I worked on cutting lawns and laboring jobs and landscaping. Yeah. Wherever I could find some yeah. money, we supported ourselves through Bible yeah. College. And it was whilst we were there in England that there was a big uh, earthquake in 1982, I think it was, 1982, in the Apennine Mountains of Italy. Eight of us were chosen to go over and take caravans, uh, uh, food, clothing, and do a um, do a mission yeah. into the Apennine Mountains of Italy. From Elam. Hmm? From Elam. From Elam. Yeah. And we went into the, the earthquake-devastated areas. It was like an atom bomb had just oh. dropped. It was Every house was just obliterated. As you walked the streets, you could smell the stench of death and yeah. saw these poor Italian people huddled up next to fire. There wouldn't have been one family that didn't suffer the loss of at least one member of their family. I remember it. I remember even walking around thinking to myself, oh, God, why should this happen? Why could this happen? And so, yeah, so that was quite a... Uh, quite an experience for us. So, yeah. you know, that really got me thinking in a lot of ways as well. And so anyway, um, we were there f- for a period of time. We, we did what we could to help the Italian people. Yeah. And then um, returned back to Elam Mission Station. And it was in that same year that, uh, it's a big long story, but I'll tell you it quickly. Okay. okay. All righty. 
Is everybody all right listening with this? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, we had a, a talk um, one morning on, on the subject of grief. Yes. And the guy that so happened to speak to us was speaking on the purposes of God, on um, what's that scripture in Romans 8:28? all things work for good yes. for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That was his theme. You know, God's ways are higher than our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our, our ways. Yes. And so these were Elam missionaries that were massacred in Zimbabwe. And oh. so his subject was the Elam missionaries. Yeah. Okay. And he was speaking on grief and he was explaining how we don't understand, you know, the yeah. thoughts, the intents and the ways of God, but God's ways are higher than our ways. Of course. And so he related that to grief yeah. and, 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 and what have you. There were two guys asking questions that day. There was myself and there was a Welsh guy. Yeah. And this particular lecturer felt that he needed to talk over and above his time sure. and, and continue on. And, and we continued asking questions. Yes. I never take my wife with me and I never take my kids to an afternoon lecture. But this day I did. <laughs> so they sat in with me listening to this guy talk yes. on, on, uh, on their missionaries. Now, you need to work it all out now. I was in contact with those missionaries. I knew yes. them. It was our intake that did our unit that yes. did the follow-up on these missions. So I was really knowing, really understanding. But he didn't know that you knew. He didn't know that I knew. Did your wife know that you knew? Eh? Was your wife in it? Did she know that you knew? Your wife. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Judy knows that, you know, the, yeah. the, the influence that the missionaries sure. had on us yeah. because I knew them. Yeah. I knew them. But they never knew that mm. I knew them. Anyway, so after the, after the lecture, after the lecture, this guy had gone over and above his time. We jumped in our car. We went back home. Yeah. My little boy jumped out of the car as well. Yeah. That was the last time we ever saw him. He walked into the forest and down to a creek. And we don't exactly know what had happened, what, but he fell into the water. And, and Judy thought that I had him, and I thought that Judy had him. You know, so there was a bit of a misunderstanding or a lack of communication between the two of us. So after about two hours, Judy came and said, have you seen Richard? I said, no, I thought he was with you. He said, no, I thought he was with you. And so frantically, we ran around the house. We went to the next door neighbor's house. We, you know, and I remember running through the forest. And I don't know whether you've ever seen those, those action movies where people are running so fast and everything is just, yeah. everything is just moving Flushing. fast. So I ran down to the creek and I didn't see anything. So I carried on running through the through the shrub and through the forest, screaming out, Richard, 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 where are you? And so eventually I came back. And as I had a closer examination in the area, I saw the crown of his head just floating in the creek. And it was at that particular time I just jumped in and threw, got hold of his lifeless body and threw it against the bank, threw it onto the bank. He just bounced like a water bottle. And I just screamed and shouted. And oh, it was just unbelievable. And my next door neighbor came running over. He tried resuscitation, trying to get him, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing... Um, CPR. CPR and what have you, but he was gone. It was too late. I remember my other son, Michael, whom you know, uh, came running and I shouted at him, don't come any closer. He was about 50 meters away. How old was Michael? Michael would have been about four years old. And Richard? And he would have been about three years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that experience was just something 
you know, it was an incredible experience. It was, you know, I, I started questioning God. I've got to tell you, and I'm, I'm truthful today. You know, we all, I think in time, in life, every one of us have got the question. We ask the wrong questions. Why yeah. me, Lord? Why me? And I was asking the wrong questions. I'm thinking, well, what have I done to deserve this? I've just come out of a country where I've been surrounded by death. You yeah. know, I've seen my friends killed in action. And, yes. and there wouldn't have been a day that went by that we didn't hear of somebody being killed. Yeah. We lived in that atmosphere and the fear of death all the time yes. and then we escaped to England thinking it was all behind us yeah. and then to have my own loved one you know um, killed in a terrible drowning accident was just you know the straw that broke the camel's back so to speak and um, and anyway what had happened next was the guy that was lecturing us that day the the lecturer came over and he says Patrick I don't know what to say to you because everything I've said to you this morning and and he said, you you know, you, you've got the answers. You you asked the questions this yeah. morning. So it was just amazing how God had, you know, prepared us in a way, in a way for that that disaster. Anyway, what happened then was, um, you know, we all react in different ways when we go through grief. You know, oh, no, nothing prepares you for it. You know, nobody. That's right. You know, the fingerprint is unique to every person, and and you know, grief happens in exactly the same way. We we all grieve grieve in a different way yes mine was just i just let loose with everything i i really did i was angry i locked myself in my room i didn't eat i didn't you know i just didn't want to see anybody i'd put the pillow over my head and i'd scream um and then after about two or three days i really needed a word from god and I came across that scripture in Isaiah 61 where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, yes. to set the captives free. And it goes on about talking about mourning in Zion. Yes. And to turn your mourning into dancing. Turn yes. your sadness into gladness. And, and yeah. you, know, you know the analogy. Yeah. And, and it was that that really confirmed to me, I really believe that God had called me because I doubted the call of God upon my life. I thought I'd made the biggest mistake in my life, bringing my kids out of a war zone, bringing them to what I thought was a safe country, losing my son and, and struggling there financially and, and what have you. I thought I'd made a huge mistake. And, and, and therefore, I doubted the call of God upon my yes. life. Maybe I was just here. Maybe I got it all wrong. Yeah. But it was there sitting... On my bed, after three, four days in prayer, well, in fasting, because I just didn't feel like eating, that God revealed to me that scripture in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. He's anointed you to preach the gospel, yeah. to heal the poor, yeah. uh, to set at liberty those who are in captivity. Yeah. You know that passage yeah, yeah. of scripture? Totally liberated me. From that moment on, Healing. I had a, I had a, 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 a mind shift, yes. a paradigm shift in my yeah. thinking. And, and I really came to understand that scripture in Romans 8.28, that all, all things, things work for good for those that love God and are called according to his purposes, that God's ways are far higher than our ways. And it was from then on that I made a determination that the suffering, the brokenness, the hurt, the pain that I'd gone through yes. would become not a stumbling block, but a stepping stone to further the plan and the purposes of God. I wasn't going to allow anything to stop me from preaching the gospel. And I suppose brings me back to where I am at this very point in time. Yeah, because still, I'm, I'm faced at this alive. moment, as you know, with, with, a, with a challenge. Again. Again. What am I going to do? So I need to use this challenge, this circumstance, as a stepping stone to thrust me forward to preach the purpose of God. Have they ever stopped? Hmm? Have they ever stopped the challenges? No, they haven't. Oh, they, no, no, they've been constant. 
<laughs> they come, as you know that. Yeah. yeah. So they never stop. They never stop. It's all part and parcel of life, isn't it? Yeah. How it's is Judy coping with all? How how did she cope? How did she heal? You know, Judy was pregnant at the time um, okay. with David. You've met my son, David. I don't you may so. have. All right. Okay. Well, he's also in the ministry now. Um, so she was pregnant with David at the time. Yes. Okay. And um, she she had to really really control herself. And although she was grieving, um, she just had to protect her baby. We, we flew out of England. It was the last day that Judy could possibly fly because of her pregnancy. If yes. she had gone one day over, she wouldn't have been able to fly. Um, and it's a long story. I tell you, it's just amazing the miracle that, that God had used in order to get us out of England yeah. to bring us to Australia. So it was the last day that she could fly. We landed in Australia, landed, and we took on our first church position at a country town called Peak Hill, population 1,200. It was an old gold mining town. Uh, the donkey died about 50 years ago. They replaced it with us, and we nearly died out there yeah. as well. So it was an old town, an old gold mining town. And, in uh, Western Australia? In West, no, in, in New South Wales. Okay. It, it was on the, on the, I think it was yeah, the Great Western Highway all the way up to Dubbo. From it's coal mining or gold? coal mining, gold, 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 gold. between Dubbo and Parks. Okay, okay, on, you know, beyond the Black Stump. So we landed and that when we took on our first church. Now I knew nothing about pastoring churches, only because you know I spent all my time. Who invited you? How did you get the job? Was somebody connected you? Yeah, somehow God had opened doors. A okay. guy by the name of David Woods, who was leaving that church, had heard about me. So you landed in this town. Land, landed up in village. this town. I could hardly preach. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know much about church administration. All I had was a knowledge. I had biblical knowledge, yes. and which was a foundation. I'd been at Bible college. Yeah. I didn't even write my last year's exams because of because of the, the accident. Preach. It was yeah. it the, the the accident happened during the time of uh, the exams. You know, that's right. So they just gave me my pass on yeah. my pass results, and so I didn't even pass. But, you know, I knew the touch of God upon my life, went out there, and, and I have to tell you, the church grew. It was just absolutely amazing. It was really the hand of God. Yeah. And, and so we had a really wonderful time out there. It, was a, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a big town. It was only population 1,400 people, I think. Yeah. There were about six churches in the community. Oh. It's true living. And so that's where I cut my teeth in ministry. And then from there on in, I was invited to Sydney, yeah. and I took on a youth pastoral position of a very big church in Sydney. Nice. Yeah. So that's our story of ministry. So then you moved to Sydney. Then so we moved to Sydney. Mm -hmm. Took on this position as a youth pastor. Yeah. Okay. And um, there I, you know, I, I I mixed it with the young people. Uh, I did youth pastoral ministry. Had some really incredible, wonderful experiences whilst I was there. Yes. Um, you know, which just enlarged my capacity and my understanding in in ministry and how to deal with people and, and what have you. So we did that for about 10 years. Wow. Uh, yeah, about 10 years. And then eventually I left that and went onto the road as an itinerant minister. Yes. So I traveled all around Australia and various parts of the world preaching the gospel. Wonderful. And so, yeah, so that's where we traveled quite a bit extensively. And eventually you landed in Perth. Um, then, you know, I've been on the road for a long time. I was on the road for about 10, 12 years. And, and my son was growing up, Michael, but he was starting to, you know, rebel. 
And, you know, the one thing that I really didn't want to happen, and that was to lose my kids sure. for the sake of, of me ministry. being away from yeah. home. But so I was always away from home. And so I knew then that it was time to throw in the towel as far as itinerant ministry goes. And and um, uh, there's a guy by the name of Pastor Steve Fogarty. Do you know St- Steve yes. Fogarty? Okay, Bible College president or something. And and he was pastoring Alpha a church. Crucis, uh, uh, yeah, um, he's from Alpha Crucis. Yeah. But he was pastoring in Mandra Church. Mm-hmm. I heard that he was leaving, and and uh, I was preaching for him yeah. at that time. Yeah. And uh, I heard that he was leaving, and I no, what happened was that's right. So I, I was preaching down here, and I did Rockingham and Mandra. Yes. Went back home, and I was preaching for another guy in Melbourne, and he he just he just mentioned, "Have you heard about uh, Steve Fogarty? He's leaving his church." He said, "You're joking." I was just there a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So I phoned Steve Fogarty up, and and I said, "Look, I'm I'm really interested. I really feel really interested in, yeah. in coming over." So they flew us over, and that's where I got the position here oh, uh, in Mandra. So I took on that church in Mandra. Okay. Um, the church grew, and uh, I was there for about twelve years. My Wonderful. kids did their teenage years there. Nice. And that's from from there on in. We came into church planting. So yep. I did church planting for about ten, twelve years. Yeah. And we planted churches all around uh, Western Australia. And then you went to Zimbabwe. Then oh. yeah. So so after about. 12th years. I've done all the talking here. That's fine. It's not too well, boring. Is this boring? No, no, no. This is not boring. Okay. <laughs> Can I have water? Have you got any water? Um, we'll get you some water. <laughs> after. Okay. So anyway, so now, um, where was I before? No, so uh, you went back to Africa. I went recently, back to Africa. Recently. That's right. Now, being an African, I don't know about you being a Romanian, but you know, there's always a navigational pool. <laughs> is it for you yeah. back to where you came of from course. I, I've always wanted to go back to Africa and I'm thinking you know I'm getting older now if I don't go now I never will and my wife was adamant that she didn't want to go back to Africa Yes. but over the years I've been able to whittle her down whittle her down whittle her down until she snapped she gave in she gave in and um, it was initially for six months six weeks then six months, then a year, then two years. And I managed to get two years out of her. Where was this? In, in, in Zambia. Zambia. Livingston, Zambia. Do you know where okay. Livingston is? And All right, for I the sake of your hearers. Livingston is right on the border of Zimbabwe and Zambia. Okay. It's where Victor, David Livingston discovered the Victoria Falls. Yes. Uh, they, the Africans call it the smoke that thunders, the Musituni. Okay, and it was there that David Livingston um, discovered, first white man to discover the Victoria Falls. The same initiation rites that he went in, uh, went through with the chief, the then chief, was the same initiation rites that I went through with the chief nowadays. Wow. It's amazing. Under the same tree. Nice. Under the same tree that he was initiated into into fellowship, into the community. Accepted. Accepted, accepted, Wonderful. yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So we landed up at in Livingston, and when we got to Livingston, you know, I've always had a. Uh, I don't know whether I'd spoken to you prior to going, but I had a real heart for vision, vision for the churches. You know, yep. where there is unity, that's where God commands the blessing. Yep. Two are better than one. A threefold cord cannot be broken. You know, it's far more better to work it together than. 
in a, to be segregated and what have you. So we established a an NGO, a non-government organization called Transformation Livingston. And, and Transformation Livingston basically was the collaboration of the church, the council, and voluntary organizations working together to better the needs of the people. And, and I had come into Livingston off the back of a cholera epidemic. A pandemic, oh. yeah. They just had cholera and, and hundreds of people died. Yes. And uh, I'm thinking that this is a great opportunity to demonstrate God's love in the community. Yeah. You know, um, so, societal transformation is ever-increasing people yeah. um, serving God with all their heart, soul, and mind. Okay? Yeah. That's societal transformation. And, and I'm thinking now, guys, we've got to demonstrate God's love for this community. Yes. And we're going to put on what we call Love Livingston day and so we gathered all the counselors i gathered all the church people together all the voluntary organizations together yes. and and we we uh, I, I just spoke to them about the vision that we have about the heartbeat of god and about you know doing something that's really um, will benefit our community yes. and so what we did i've got it all on video you can use it one day um and so i i preached it and i taught it i went around to all the different agencies and then we came through on a particular day we called it Love Livingston Day and we bust people in from the north, the south, the west and the east and we centralized everybody and then we got them to clean the whole city, the whole city. All the lines on the, the streets were painted white again and just really cleaned out all the trenches and everything. It was so successful that it hit national news Wow! and, and to this day they still are working on cleaning uh, the, the Livingston city every now and again. But we called it Love Livingston. Yes. And the, the motivation behind it was the demonstration of God's love for the community. Beautiful. And that would be that was so far more effective than any other mission outreach. outreach that we could have done because we were practically yeah. involved in people's in people's yeah. lives. And it was seen. It was seen. That's yeah. why the Bible, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Yeah. The problem with us today is that we get so heavenly minded or, or we're not scratching where our community yeah, are itching. Yeah. And unless we start scratching where they're itching, they won't listen to us. That's right. But you know, the church gained a newfound respect from the council and the community beautiful I'm telling you and it worked it really really worked and so we called it love livingston beautiful today i'm told that a group from america have just gone off the back of the love livingston they call it transformation livingston Praise God. no transformation zambia okay. gone to lasak and they've had crusades and hundreds of people got saved Hallelujah. went down to livingston hundreds of people got saved and i really believe it's off the back of what we initiated yeah. you shifted a year ago we something shifted something in the spirit put into motion we've shifted something in the spirit there yeah. and 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 some of the guys that are on the board on our board transformation livingston to this day still very keen and and are influential ministers on yeah. the fraternity and so they they're driving this thing at this moment I'll show you some videos one day. It's stimulating yeah. stuff. Oh, I'm sure you, know, you know, I'd go for a walk in the morning at Livingston. Yeah. I'd go for a walk. And in the space of one hour, yes. I, I would drive to the falls, the Victoria Falls, yes. which, by the way, is one of the most captivating or inspiring scenes you've ever seen in your life I've got to go. you know the victoria falls is one of the seven wonders of the world yeah. it's magnificent I've it will knock Niagara. the breath I've out of you Niagara, but I've got to... nothing in comparison to the victoria falls 
My house was 10 kilometers from the Victoria Falls. Every morning I used to jump in my car. We used to drive down what we call Elephant Alley. There would hardly be a day that we didn't come across a huge jumbo African elephant. Yeah. Now an African elephant's not like an Indian elephant. Eh? I mean a jumbo, uh, uh, huge, humongous. So anyway, I would see an African elephant. I would see giraffe. I would see zebra. Yes. I, would see, I would see hippo. And wow. we'd see crocodile. Wow. And that, that was my early morning walk. And then we'd walk around, you know, the Victoria Falls. I mean, who would yeah. have that kind of opportunity? Never. In everyday way of life? Never. And people say, well, why did you come back? That's a good question. <laughs> Ask my wife. <laughs> You're back in town? So we're back in town now, and you know the rest of the story. And uh, we, as soon as you came back, we had you here at church. That was we... wonderful. You guys were a blessing to Judy and I. You really were. Thank you. Um, you know... Um, Judy had a bit of a problem in, 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 in Africa. It was, you know, despite the fact that we were safe, and it is a safe country, I want sure. to tell you, it really is. But, um, you know, we were under the pump spiritually. Overworking. Yeah, you know, overworking and probably putting too much pressure on Judy and what have you. But she cracked and and uh, had to go and see a counsellor. So we flew her to England and um, I had to come back, sort the ministry out, came back to Australia, get the house ready for her when she got back. But now she's doing well. We've been back for a year. I'm at a bit of a loose end at the moment now, as you know, um, looking for employment and trying to really gather the thoughts of God concerning my future life. Well, you've got so much Mm -hmm. much experience in life, and I'm sure the Lord will open the right door for you. You you know, I promise you. wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm really believing for that. You know, I'm yeah. really believing to hear the voice of God. And, and you know, like this book, you've got one of your um, chapters. chapters there about reset. Yeah. And, and you know, last year was a time of resetting. Yeah. And you've got a time of looking at perspectives. In fact, amazing stuff in there. I, I'm yeah. going to read the book for sure. Yeah. But that's what COVID-19 had done for us, a time yeah. of resetting. Mm. But now we come, we, we're coming out of it now and I'm... Still waiting on God for, for direction as to what to do for the future. I don't know whether to plant another church or whether I continue on with some kind of itinerant ministry or whether I focus back on Africa from here. So I'm, I'm looking for, for yeah, direction new, from God at the moment. So if you get a prophetic word, just let me know. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I should seek God for myself tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a prophet yourself. Uh, what's the legacy you'd like to leave behind? For me... You know, the legacy I'd learned to leave for my children and for people that know me is the legacy of having a great passion for God, loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, yeah. and then loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah. You know, out of this comes societal transformation. Yeah. You know, no man can love God more than the man that loves his neighbor. Yeah. And I think that... You made a group, didn't you? Love, 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 love uh, favor your neighbor, favor your, favor neighbor. your neighbor, because that's my, that's yeah. my, that's everything that I think about. The yeah. great commandment, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, yeah. and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Beautiful. And love is a verb; it's an action word. Yeah. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question: What are we doing to demonstrate God's love to our community? Yeah. You see, so. So that's always been my heartbeat, yeah. and the legacy that I would leave my family and 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 people in ministry and people in general is is that legacy to love God with all your heart, to love your neighbour, 
to demonstrate it. You know, don't just talk about it. Let's live yeah. it out. Let's, yeah. let's flesh it out in our everyday yeah. way of life. And by doing that, we would have far more impact, far more influence than anything else. Well, you've already influenced me, you know, just with sharing the story tonight. I'm sure that you've done the same with our listeners as well. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much I've for joining us. I've done so much us. talking. You haven't asked me any questions. That's fine. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I don't need to ask questions. You know what you're here for. Uh, uh, thank you so much for watching uh, today's show with Patrick Humblestone. Favor your neighbor. Love God and love those people around you. We need, this world needs more love. You know, God has just poured his love on us to the maximum and we've absorbed it. It's time to release it back to him and back to everyone around us. What a powerful testimony. Um, he also mentioned the book, 19 COVID Lessons the Church Cannot Ignore. I haven't pitched it yet, but uh, since he opened the subject, this is available on Amazon and everywhere good books are sold. Uh, it's 19 lessons that the Lord has taught us during the coronavirus. So. Uh, if you haven't had the chance to listen or, or, or read this, just know it's available on Amazon as well. And from my heart to yours, you're going to love it. So yeah, 19 COVID lessons the church cannot ignore. I Why back to normal is not an option. You can't go back to normal. In fact, we can't go to the past. So get on and rise up to the occasion that the Lord is calling you to do. Amen. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, another wonderful story with another invited person that will be with us. Until then, do share this content with other people, spread the good news and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love those five stars that are coming through and the feedback that you're providing to us. We thank you so much for joining us. Kingdom Stories from Down Under. I am Nathaniel Costia. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.